morning, beautiful family. How are we? Good, good, good. Good to be here with you all this morning. Hey, I love y'all so much. Seriously. Um, I can't tell you how many times throughout the week uh, I kind of stop and just thank God for our church and for what God is doing in our church and uh, just so often filled with gratitude at the way that God is moving uh, amongst our church. And I'm not just saying that because Paul says the same things to the Thessalonians that we'll read in a minute. Like I actually felt and feel that way uh, about you guys. But like God is moving uh, amongst our church. I mean, we saw that even last week, we had 12 people get baptized. Like, that is news to celebrate. Five of them were spontaneous. Like, man, I want to give my life to Jesus today. And like, God is just moving. And there was more people that were like, man, I want to surrender my life to Christ and on and on. And so uh, God is good, amen? Like he's moving amongst us. And so just excited to continue to press forward uh, for the sake of the gospel together. So we're going to jump to a new series. You ready? Okay, Um, last series we looked at 2 Timothy and what we looked at was Paul kind of passing the baton or passing the torch to Timothy and telling him, hey, take this torch and then run forward with the gospel. Be faithful in the gospel. And similarly, we said we believe that God is uh, giving us the torch, the spiritual mantle even in a way for the spirituality of Austin that he wants to use us as a uh, a church to kind of take the torch and to run forward with the sake of the gospel that we would put push back darkness, that we would exalt the name of Jesus, that we would see people's lives surrendered and changed by Christ. And so in 1 Thessalonians, which is what we'll be today in the next few weeks, uh, Paul is writing to a very, very young church, really similar to the well. Uh, This church actually hasn't existed for a long time. Uh, They're a new church plant, and yet they're killing it for the Lord. Like, they're going out of their way, really exalting Jesus. And uh, there they are, kind of killing it for Jesus. And yet, Paul's message there is, hey, I want you to excel still more. I want you to keep going forward. I want you to keep excelling and striving in the work of the gospel. And Paul actually uses that phrase, excel still more, several times throughout the letter, which is why we named the series that. But what he says, even as you can tell by the graphic we tried to communicate, of like, hey, you have gone to the cross of Christ. Man, good job. I want you to keep going now, is what Paul is saying. Not like you graduate from the cross, but rather you grow from the cross. It kind of dictates everything about your life. Now that you have seen Jesus, you've seen the gospel, you've seen what the cross is and what it does and the message of Christ, I want you to keep going and to keep pushing forward. Excel excel still more. Don't stop. Push back darkness is what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. And I would say that is what Paul and even God would say to us, that, hey, 12 baptisms, that's awesome. Man, the church plants, the missionaries, like, that's awesome. You're just getting started. Like, I want you to excel still more, to keep running forward for the sake of Jesus. So that's where we're going to be throughout the whole series. If you have your Bibles, grab them. First Thessalonians is where we'll be today. And we're going to go through all of chapter 1 uh, this morning. If you need a Bible, ushers are coming forward. If you would just raise your hand, uh, they would like to give you a Bible. If you don't have one, you can raise your hand and take and keep that. That's our gift to you. Or if you just want a physical Bible today instead of your phone or something, raise your hand. They'll give that to you as well. And then you can just leave it in the chair afterwards and we'll take it back if you don't want to take that home. Um, you can also follow along on your phone. If you have the version app, type in the Well Austin or take that link and put it right to your browser. You can follow along that way. Uh, we say this every week. We want your eyes on the word. God speaks to us through the scriptures. Like God 
communicates. And we want him to communicate to you today, uh, not through me, but rather through the text, and that the text would begin to speak life into us, all right? So as you're turning there, 1 Thessalonians, uh, a little bit of background before we really dive into this book at large. Uh, Thessaloniki or Thessalonica was a very, very strategic city uh, centrally located in the ancient Roman Empire. It was actually a city unlike any city around it because this was a free city where every other city was actually captured by Rome and under Roman governance, uh, Thessalonica was actually free. They had their uh, own kind of laws, their own liberty, and they enjoyed this freedom. It was a flourishing city. It had this extremely vibrant economy. Uh, It had a strategic harbor that allowed you to come in and out of the city in really easy ways. Uh, It had a ton of technological advances and even inventions that was happening. It was a prime uh, location kind of right in the center of the Roman emperor's Ignatian Road, which uh, that was like the ancient highway of the time. Like think I-35 back in the day, but probably with better infrastructure even then, okay? Less traffic jams there, okay? So it was an extremely influential city uh, for a ton of other reasons. Honestly, really similar to Austin, a vibrant economy, all this technology, and uh, this young Thessalonian church plant was directly in the center of this booming society. And this is where Paul is writing to them too. Also like Austin, the Thessalonians, most of them weren't from Thessaloniki. They actually were not from there originally, but rather they moved there either for work or for entertainment and enjoyment because of how prosperous that city was. And so because of this, it was a very diverse city, most people not being from there. And it was even religiously diverse. And so what you had was these Greeks that filled all the temples and you had the Jews that filled the synagogues and you actually had the Romans who would bow down and worship Caesar because they believed that Caesar was a God incarnate. And so they would worship uh, Caesar as God in a lot of ways. And because of this, people were hostile towards Christians because Christianity is sort of debunked all of those other religions. And those religions were actually a part of their economy. It was a part of what they used to really uh, enjoy life at large. And so Thessaloniki was Austin, just 50 AD, okay? Like it's the exact same context in a lot of ways. And there's this young new church plant in the middle of Thessaloniki that is trying to exalt Jesus and that is trying to push back darkness, Here we go. That's why we end this book, all right? And so uh, one of the things that's there is everyone there in Thessalonia, they're all enjoying life. They're really living life how they want to live it. They're uh, doing whatever they want to do. Really what they're focused on is making a bunch of money and having fun. And so in a lot of ways, it's like Austin once again, right? And then in comes the church in the middle of all of this where everybody's just trying to do them, make money and have fun. And the church comes in and says, actually, you should surrender your lives to Jesus and follow him. And so the church comes in jacking everything up. All right? And they're just messing up all of the social order in a lot of ways. Yet, they were not messing up the social order in hostility like the other religions that came before it. They were actually kind of corrupting things by their sacrificial love. The way they were loving people and surrendering their lives. These Christians were kind of usurping this culture around them by this sacrifice and by this love and by this service to somebody that is greater than themselves. 
Listen, if your Christianity creates hostility because you are hostile, you're probably not following the footsteps of Jesus. If your Christianity creates hostility because it's countercultural, you're probably following in the footsteps of Jesus. See, if your Christianity creates actually a little bit of rub the wrong way because of how much you sacrifice or how much you love or how you're still really firm on truth and yet you love people regardless if they believe that truth or not and you serve them out of this and yet you have these principles and you try to follow this God, like if that begins to uh, shake up what people believe they should be allowed to do, like it's probably gonna create some hostility But the Thessalonians, even though they were shaking up the social order some, they were uh, literally living their lives devoted to Jesus, and Jesus was doing this beautiful thing. And so Paul is encouraging the Thessalonian church, hey, excel still more. Like, keep going forward. Keep pushing back darkness. Even though you're starting to experience some persecution because people aren't liking this message per se, like, keep going forward. And even though you're flourishing, even though you're doing a lot of good things for Jesus, like, I want you to flourish all the more. I want you to keep going forward for the sake of the gospel. And I think the Lord would encourage us to do the same thing, to keep surrendering our lives, our time, our talent, our treasure, to really honor God and to continue to push back darkness and to highlight the beauty of who he is. I think that he would look at us in a lot of ways as a church and that he would uh, be pleased in what God is doing amongst us. In a lot of ways, I think he would say, hey, y'all are killing it, player." That's how God speaks to me, by the way, okay? He's like, ayo, what up, young prince? I'm like, ayo, what up, pops? We like dap each other up in my prayer life, all right? And, but I think he would say, I want you to keep going, right? I want you to keep striving. I want you to excel all the more in the gospel. Y'all are killing it, man, keep killing it. And that's the message that Paul is writing to this church, all right? So in light of that, let's chop it up. First Thessalonians chapter one, beginning in verse one, says this, <clears throat> Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Quick pause, okay? I've been reading a little bit slower because of our Lent devotional. Lord Jesus Christ. Ever thought about that phrase? Right? The intentionality, even the history that's in that phrase. That word Lord just means like king, right? The overseer, the, uh, the, the ruler of all. Jesus is Jesus' actual name, but it means that uh, God is salvation or the Lord saves. And so Jesus means salvation. And then Christ was a Hebrew word that meant anointed and Messiah. And so think about what Paul's calling Jesus here. He says, the king and ruler, savior, anointed Messiah, Like, man, the name Jesus, it's so powerful. Do you reflect on it? Like, man, there's something about the name Jesus, right, that carries so much beauty. Something about the name Jesus. If y'all know what that is, y'all need to get up off that Bethel tip, all right, and get some real stuff, all right? But um, this is what he's doing, right? Man, there's something powerful about that name. Remember to slow down when you see the scripture. Keep going, verse two. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. 
For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope. Those phrases Paul uses is actually what he's going to use to carry throughout the whole book. They will guide us throughout the book. Paul keeps going back to these themes at large. Now, notice though, Paul is actually praying these themes over them before he's exhorting them in the truth that he wants them to understand about those themes. And so before giving them the encouragement or the speech, he's actually taking this speech before the Lord first, and then he's beginning to encourage them. Question, do you pray for people before you try to pour into them some truth? Do you go to God on their behalf before communicating truth to them? Like, do you talk to God about what you want to give to others before you actually try to give it to others? Because if you do that, God might actually empower your speech and give you even more love or even more encouragement or even more truth or even more fire or whatever it might be. He might make you more gentle, more powerful, more loving. But Paul's exhortation to the Thessalonians is actually extending from his prayer life. His prayer life comes first, then it comes his preaching, okay? And so, too many people, they just want to preach without doing the labor of prayer. Where are you at in that? Do you want to just communicate truth and be seen, or do you actually want to do the labor of prayer for people? Paul is praying for this church, and then he's communicating truth to them, And so even people that you're sharing the gospel with, people that you're pouring into, like, are you going to the Lord on their behalf and are you praying for them? Even the good things that you're seeing, are you thanking God, knowing that God is actually the one that produces all good fruit anyway, and thanking him before encouraging them in that fruit? Paul's doing this. Now, what Paul is doing is he's actually writing to the Thessalonians about a concern that he actually had for the church. And we'll see this actually fleshed out a little bit more in chapter 3. But because of the persecution that was happening to Paul, Paul was actually unable to spend a whole lot of time with this church. You see, he shared the gospel with them. And then people got saved, but then Paul actually got rushed out of the city because of persecution that was happening. At the time, the Romans believed that Caesar was a god and that Caesar's reign and Rome's reign, there would be flyers that would be all over the city. It would say, Rome's reign will bring eternal peace and prosperity. Eternal peace and eternal prosperity. And then Paul steps on the scene and he's like, "Uh, contrary to popular belief... (laughs) He's not a God. He's a man that will die like all other men. But there was another man named Jesus. He's actually God. And his reign will actually bring eternal peace and eternal prosperity. And so he's corrupting the social order, probably in love, but he is still speaking truth. You see, whenever truth comes, it might be hard for people to believe, even if you're doing it with extreme love like Paul was doing it in. These people were chasing something that would ultimately lead them toward their death. Paul was trying to point them toward life, but in doing that, they had to surrender things. They didn't like that, so they literally chased Paul out of the city and tried to kill him. And so Paul had led some of these people to faith because they realized, you're right, Caesar is just a man, but maybe this Jesus is God because he resurrected from the dead. Maybe he is the real one. Caesars have never done that, but Jesus has. Maybe he's the real God. And they began to follow this Jesus, but then Paul got chased out. And so he only spent a couple of weeks with them. 
And so he actually sent Timothy, as we'll see in chapter three, to go check in on this church to actually see like, man, were they like still like faithful? Like, yeah, they had professed faith in Christ, but he wasn't able to see what was happening. And so he had all this concern for the church and literally he sends Timothy back saying, man, are they enduring in the faith? And much to Paul's great joy, they weren't just enduring in the faith, they were killing it in the faith. Like they were striving, they were excelling in the works of the gospel. Paul actually says he can tell that the gospel took root and that he knows that the gospel came in truth because of the works that they are doing. Because they are killing it, he's able to see the gospel truly did uh, bear fruit. It's clear that the gospel came into their lives because it changed them. Listen, family, the gospel changes everything it touches, Anything the gospel touches, it begins to alter and breathe life into it. And there's a life in these Thessalonians. They're striving in the works of the gospel. They're laying aside old sin and walking in the newness of life. They had heard the gospel. You see there in verse 5. It says it really clearly, right? And then the power of the gospel was displayed. Well, what's the power? The power is their changed lives, is what Paul says. The gospel is changing you. What you see is that the Holy Spirit did a work in their hearts. Verse 5, that's God's work, by the way, the Holy Spirit. But then they received it with full conviction. That's their work. That's them submitting to the work of God in their life. It was God literally interacting with their work that showcased the beauty of the gospel. God chose them. And so this is clear that God initiated this work. We are not saved by our works by any means. God redeems our dead hearts, but we actually come in unison with God. And as we submit to that choosing, as we uh, interact with God, the gospel literally explodes in our life. And he saw this very clearly in the Thessalonian church. Mark Howell, who's a pastor and a biblical commentator in Florida, he says this, they were not the elect of God because they worked at their faith. Rather, because they were the elect of God, they had a faith that worked. As you surrender your life to Jesus, his calling on your heart and in your life, things begin to naturally change. The gospel changes everything it touches. You don't begin to work to prove that you're saved. That's not what was happening here. But because you are saved, you naturally begin to work and you naturally begin to serve Christ more. There is a work of faith. You are doing something with the faith that God has put in your heart. If he has won you to himself, then he begins to change you in these really beautiful ways. Think about it like this. Um, let's pretend that I came in this morning and I was like 10 minutes late to like hopping up here to preach, okay? And so, you know, Jacob comes up, he does announcements, the giving's going, and you know, in the back, everybody's freaking out. They're all looking for me like, hey, where, where Tori at? Where Tori at, right? Y'all just think it's cool and the keys are playing a little bit longer, the melody gets drawn out, and you're like, what's going on, right? Ten minutes goes by, I come running up on stage like, oh, oh man, dang, my bad, y'all. Y'all ready? Okay, uh, I'm really sorry I'm late, right? Like, I actually just, I parked a really far way away, you know, so y'all can have space because I'm a servant like that, okay? But as I was walking over here, like, all of a sudden, a Mack truck, you know, like the 18-wheelers, the semis, like, a Mack truck came, and it just hit me like, pow, right? And I fell down, and the driver got out, and I got up, and I was like, hey, yo, man, let me get your information in case I got to sue you, you know? And so I was, like, doing that, and like, man, that's why I was late. And I came up looking just like this. No scuff marks, no nothing, right? It's looking normal. You'd be like, time for another church, okay? 
because you would know that I was lying, right? Like the, the work of a Mack truck would alter my life more than just making me 10 minutes late, right? Jesus is a lot bigger than a Mack truck. And the work of Jesus's gospel entering into your heart and in your life, it alters your life in extreme ways. You see, listen, we were dead before Jesus, okay? And so it's not like Jesus comes in and then immediately we're like a whole orchard that's just bearing thousands and thousands of fruit in our life. That might not happen, but you better believe when Jesus comes in, a tree does sprout up. His work is more powerful than our sin. And where the gospel truly takes root, it will begin to bear fruit. And so that's what Paul's saying here. There's a work of faith. He can tell the gospel really took root because now fruit is blossoming. There's uh, things that are happening. They are actually changed in this way. And so they are even in verse five, you can tell this as the way Paul's writing. They're not doing it trying to prove that they're saved. They're just naturally doing it as a response to the gospel. They're serving and they're loving others. Where the gospel comes in, you all of a sudden slowly but surely stop being self-focused and start being others focused in Christ's exalting. And that's what's going on in the Thessalonian church. Has your life, family, truly been impacted by the gospel? Have you received it with full conviction? Or are you like, oh, no, no, no I got changed by Jesus, but it's like the Mac 10, Mac, Mac truck analogy. Like, man, the gospel changes things. And it is these type of people and this type of church that is changed by the gospel in that sort of way that revolutionizes the world. It begins to create impact that far expands it. You see, actually, these people were beginning to experience persecution, as we'll read even in one second, because the enemy was trying to stop this work of the gospel. The enemy knew that if the gospel could flourish here in Thessaloniki, then the whole entire Roman Empire would actually begin to hear the gospel, not just here, but maybe even surrender their lives to Jesus. Newsflash, that's what happened. The Thessalonians, they persevered in the faith because the gospel really took root and literally the whole Roman empire was changed. See, the gospel, there's a work of faith that happens where the gospel truly takes root. And Paul's saying, I can tell it did. Now keep going forward in that work. Like God is using this, y'all, is what Paul is saying. Let's keep reading, verse six. And you became, okay, there's more work that's going on. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you receive the word in much affliction, like we just talked about, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Y'all just, quick side note, only in Christianity can you have affliction with joy. Everything else is about you. It's about your works, your labor, or pleasing yourself. Every other religion, including non-religion, is about what brings life to you. Christianity says actually when you die to yourself, you actually reign and live forever with Christ and life truly comes in. Therefore, you can have affliction, but you can have it with joy. And so here's what's happening, right? They're receiving it with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything for they themselves, all these other people, they report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
And so in unison with this work of faith, there's this labor of love and this steadfastness of hope. They're impacting the world around them. Notice, once again, the work, labor, and steadfastness. That's the Thessalonians' response. But the faith, hope, and love, that comes from God. And so God is giving them this, and they're responding to this gift he's given them. Look again at verse 8. It's because of their active faith, their work, their labor in the gospel, that the word of God is going out everywhere. They didn't just receive it, family. They're actually living in it. They're walking in this. See, the word of God is powerful, not just where it is proclaimed, but also where it is believed in and then acted upon by others. The word of God doesn't return void. That is very, very true. But where you see the word of God begin to be lived out, that's where you see the gospel being displayed. And that's where all this power happens. That's where lives begin to change. That's where literally cities begin to change because of the work of the gospel. The Thessalonians, they were acting out their faith. And this was a witness to the world. They received the gospel. Now they're applying the gospel. And this is impacting everything around them. And we've seen that even in our own church this week. For example, take this idea of the labor of love. Labor means hard work, okay? Like, like a labor, right? And work of faith. That's effort. There's striving here that's happening. But this labor of love, I've seen it clearly on display by how our church has loved our sister, Huli. For those of you who don't know, Huli is on our staff team with us. And about two weeks ago, Huli was hospitalized. There were some stomach issues that were going on, and it turns out to be a gallbladder issue, and then it got to her pancreas. There's all these complications. She's been in the hospital for two weeks, and there's possibly many more weeks in front of her as she's in the hospital. Huli's a single woman and on our staff team. And what I've actually begun to see is all of these people that are beginning to labor in love to make sure that Huli feels loved and cared for. You see people uh, like Jen Newell or like Katie Rose or Marina Lentz or uh, people like Sydney Stedman or all these different people, many other people I didn't even mention, like they are in there laboring to actually really love Huli. They're taking off nights to go spend the whole night with her. They're taking off work to go make sure she's not lonely, but she has people there to talk to. They're literally making all these sacrifices to make sure that Huli has people there to just love on her. Now, this isn't necessary. She doesn't need 24-7 care. She's at the hospital. The nurses could do that. But the church wants her to know that she feels cared for and, and loved and, and just that she is seen in a lot of ways. And so this is the reality of what I see happening. And look, it's hard work sometimes, right? Like Marina got three kids. She could very easily be like, yo, this is too hard. I'm just going to stay home and watch Netflix because I'm tired. And that would be like, honestly, a natural response. Nobody would even blink an eye at it. You got three kids. That's hard. But instead, she is literally uh, serving and loving. And she's not doing it trying to prove that she's a Christian. Rather, because she's a Christian, she naturally wants to love her sister, and there's a labor that's happening. There's a work that's happening in really, really beautiful ways. In fact, Huli's Christian family has been far more present in her life than her biological family. Because the church steps up in a lot of ways. And the church serves where nobody else is willing to, even if it means it costs us part of our freedom some. You see, here's what's happening in this. Huli's dad, who's not a believer, has been literally not just kind of like uh, confounded, but almost frustrated at the church's response. 
Like we're stepping up in so many ways that every time he comes, there's like two or three people that are there loving on Huli. He doesn't know what to do. And we're kind of calling him up and he can't make that level of sacrifice. He's unwilling to in a way. And so every time he comes, he's not sure what's happening and, and we're the ones that are catching him up. And, and literally the church is stepping in almost to his frustration even. Here's what I believe will happen though. Next time Huli shares the gospel with him, you better believe because he saw it in action, he's going to be receptive to it much more. I actually believe that this will actually lead to his faith long term. And that the same thing will be true for her brothers who do not know the Lord and many, many others, right? You see, what's happening here is that where profession is happening mixed with proclamation, mixed with production, that is where there's power. That was a really good alliteration. I should have had that on a slide. All right. Where there's profession, okay, and where there's this proclamation, this preaching of the gospel, and where that's matched with work, with production, with action, man, it creates power. And the Thessalonian church, they're laboring in love. However, even with this labor, persecution may still come. Like where Jesus is preached faithfully, you often don't have to go looking for trials. Trials will come looking for you. And suffering will come looking for you. This church, as we just said, it was being spiritually attacked because of how much a successful church plant would open up the gospel to the rest of Rome. And a successful church plant in Austin who wants to plant hundreds of other churches nationally and internationally, we are inviting warfare on in some ways. We are inviting it into our life. And so don't be surprised if you're laboring in love for the church, if you're laboring in love for the sake of the gospel, if you're laboring in love in Jesus, if trials don't meet you there as well. Because he who isn't love, our enemy, wants to curve you in so many ways and wants to disrupt the work that's going on. This isn't just true spiritually where you might feel attacked. This is true emotionally. Like maybe you're feeling this depression, not because there's something wrong, but because the enemy wants to try to stunt the work that God is doing in your life and the work that he's using you to do in other people's lives. This is true relationally, physically, all across the board, but don't sleep. God always uses suffering though. Like think about it even here in Paul's life. The church became imitators of Paul and of Jesus. Paul is suffering because he's literally in jail for preaching the gospel right now. He's writing this letter from jail. And here's what I think, okay? Now this is Tori inserting stuff onto the text, but I wouldn't put it past human Paul to be frustrated at his jailing. Here's why. Paul was a preacher and a pastor. He loved the church, Paul labored over the church, he cared about the church, he fought for the church. Heck, Paul got his head chopped off because of how much he loved the church, we just learned in our last series, right? Paul loves the church, and I wouldn't put it past human Paul to be sitting in the jail cell and going, God, why am I in here? Like, I just wanna preach. Man, I'm leading people to faith, I'm trying to establish the church, like, I just wanna preach the gospel, God. I wouldn't put it past Paul saying that. Paul had to turn from a preacher of the gospel to a preacher of the gospel. He had to start writing letters because of this. Praise God Paul got jailed because now we still get encouraged today, right? Like, I really do think that whatever seems like suffering in your life, it actually might be for the glory of the generation that's to come after you. 
But that's usually what suffering is. It's the glory of the generation after you. And so trust God in this. This is where the steadfastness of hope comes in. They are steadfast in what they believe because they hope in something greater. It's not just their laboring of love. It's not just their work of faith in those around them, but they're doing it with a hope in front of them. You see, without hope, y'all, our labor gets taxing and we grow weary and we often snuff out in the faith. But we're hope is present, we can persevere through suffering or through hard times. Here's an easy analogy for you. I was on two different football teams. Well, throughout high school, there's two different examples here. Our uh, sophomore year, we were four and four, and our junior year, we were zero oh and six, okay? Now, our sophomore year at four and four, if we actually won the next two games, then we were going to make it to the playoffs, My junior year, though, when we were 0-6, there was literally no hope of making it to the playoffs. And so the sophomore year, the practices and the team, they were still filled with all of this hope because there was still something to fight for. Like there was a chance that we were going to make it in the playoffs. There was a chance that we were going to do these good things. And so there was energy in the locker room and in the practice field. And there was a longing because there was hope in front of us. When we were 0-6, because they weren't throwing me the ball enough. (laughs) Right? Like, there was no more hope. People were doing stuff half-heartedly. They didn't want to come to practice. Because there was no hope left in front of them. When Satan tries to get you to believe that you're 0-6 in the faith, you need a hope that's in front of you that tells you that's not true. That God is actually doing stuff in your life. That God is moving in your heart. It has to remind you of truth that is greater than the circumstances in front of you. You see, it has to remind you that, look, yeah, you are four and four. Like, maybe there is old sin in your life that you're still struggling with. Or or maybe you haven't been as fruitful in ministry as you want to be. But God's also doing a beautiful work. Like, set your eyes on the hope that is to come. Look at the resurrection of Jesus. That's where power lies. And if you focus on that, it can give you energy and stamina to continue on in this race, to keep working, to keep laboring. We have to have hope. That's in front of us. Do you have that hope? Right? Really what chapter one is about, Paul's main message here is excel in gospel witness. Excel in gospel witness. Let the gospel take root and share that with others. Let the gospel take root and live that out amongst others. Let your lives be a reflection of the gospel. Share this with other people. Like I know you may be suffering, Paul's saying, like me or like Jesus who came before us, but keep on going. Keep showing people what the gospel does. Keep highlighting the turning away from dead things and the turning towards Christ. Paul is telling them that even though they may not be able to realize it in the day-to-day situation, their faith, their hope, their love, it is sounding forth everywhere. It's making an impact. That word there is echo, actually. It's the Greek word that, man, is bouncing further and further. Where we are faithful to God, it creates ripple effects in the kingdom family. And you may not be able to see this. We may not see how these little labors of love, like love in Huli, actually is creating ripple impacts in the kingdom. But Paul's saying, look, set your hope on front of you and keep going. Excel still more. God is doing a beautiful work amongst you. Don't lose heart. God is using you. Excel still more. Keep going forward in the gospel. Ultimately, what they're doing is they're encouraging others to turn from idols and to serve the living God. And the gospel is working. What they believe is taking action in their life. Is this true for your life? 
is a gospel taking action is what you believe producing itself in fruit around you. Are you excelling in the work of the gospel? Are you laboring in love? Are you literally receiving the fullness of Jesus? Now remember, the Thessalonians, they lived in a culture where this would have been really, really hard for them. Like there were all these idols around them and all these idols promised to give them life. And in some ways, following those idols seemed easier because there wasn't a death to self that had to happen to follow these idols. There was a death to self that had to happen in following Jesus. And so it would have been really tempting to kind of fall back into their old life or to follow these idols. But everything else, Paul says, is dead compared to the living and resurrected Christ. Nothing else actually gives life. All these other gods, all these other life pursuits, all of them are dead. In other words, what the Thessalonians did was they put down all of their old life that they might pick up Jesus. And that gave life. And he's asking us through this text, and he's reminding the Thessalonian church, is that still true? Are all the other things put down that you might receive Christ? I have an analogy for us that will hopefully help us today. You see, it's really easy to literally not uh, carry, to carry way too much in our life and to not put down our old things. Like we got black babies in our household because our kids need to know, all right? <laughs> <laughs> That was a joke. Y'all can laugh, all right? <laughs> Here's what's happening, okay? I really believe that in a lot of ways, look, Paul's telling them, don't go back to the old life. Don't serve these idols that will no longer be able to give you power and that won't be able to resurrect you when you are dead. But just because they had idols in their life that looked like little statues, we like to think that we're not idol worshipers as well, but all of us are idols that worship dead things. All of us worship idols that are dead. All of us are tempted to go to things that actually won't produce life. And so in you, what you begin to say is, man, you know what? If I just get a good job, like that's all, like I just want a really, really good job and to make some money and have some success. And so I'll pick up my laptop and, and I'll pick up my briefcase and I'll carry it so that I have some success. Like if I could just get through school and like, and like get me a diploma, then like, man, maybe actually that's where life will be found at. And we find ourselves working and working and working at this and we're carrying this and there's some good to this, but it's not giving us the life that our soul longs for. And so then our culture says, oh, no, 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 it's not just career and success. You actually need relationships too. And so we go, oh, okay, 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 cool. So I'm going to make sure I go ahead and get married. Look at that hot woman right there. And I'm going to, you know, go ahead and like, like make sure I pop the question, you know, like, hey, will you marry me? Okay, cool. Oh, there goes that ring. All right. And all of a sudden, right, I'm going to go ahead and like have a family and like, man, I got to make sure I have some like kids in this family. And like, man, now, now, now I'll be happy right? Now that I have like some kids and, and all of a sudden it gets hard and man, that's not enough either. And so then literally they start telling us, hey, listen, you also need to like entertain yourself in a way. Like you need to focus on yourself a little bit, have some fun. And so like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, let me go ahead and like, and like make sure I pick up sports and stuff and I'll put this over the baby and sacrifice my kid for some entertainment, right? <laughs> And I'll go ahead and like, like, man, like, like I'll follow like this and like, man, I'm going to watch TV and like make sure that I have, oops, dang, oh, I'm just kidding. This was already broke. Y'all thought I brought a real iPad up here? Come on. 
<laughs> right? And like, man, like, like, let me make sure I have some of this, right? And so here you go. You're starting to carry all these things. And it's like, no, 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 that's not enough either. So then you go, okay, well, man, maybe I'll just start traveling. I ain't never going to show up to church because I'm traveling half the time, right? And so like, boom, like, here I go. Like, this will actually give me life. And now we're leaving our kid behind. Dang, my bad, I got to carry this too, right? And then it's like, no, 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 that's not enough either. And so then we start focusing on ourself. And we start trying to do self-care. We're like, hey, look at me. I look good. Sweating a little bit, but I still look good up here, right? And it's like, man, man, let me make sure I get some Jordans so people know how cool I am, right? I got to make sure I get some other shoes too up in this mug. And all of a sudden you're trying to carry all this stuff. And I'm like, let me put some stuff in here. Maybe I can, right? And then all of a sudden we're like, hey, hey, Jesus is worthy too. And so we go over here and we start trying to pick up the most valuable thing, Christ. This is Natalie's. Uh, Four generations in her family. So it's probably the most valuable thing up here, right? It's this ancient antique thing passed down from her great-great-grandmother. And so we start trying to pick this up too along with all this other stuff, right? We're like, man, let me like, okay, maybe if I put this over here and like let me go ahead and like start trying to pick up Jesus. It don't work like that, y'all. See, here's the reality. Too many of us are chasing all these other dead idols, also trying to pick up Christ, But what Paul says is, hey, put all this other stuff down. And then as you pick up Jesus and carry him, all of a sudden he gives life eternally. What are you trying to carry that's going to give you life? What idols are you worshiping that's going to give life to your soul or so you believe? They're all dead. There's only one that's living. There's only one that's really precious. You have to put down everything else that you might be able to rightly pick up Jesus. And so this is the reality. The Thessalonians were walking in the reality of this. Like, have you done that? By the way, this came from Hobby Lobby yesterday. This ain't Natalie's. Y'all thought I was going to bring a real valuable thing up here while I'm about to break all this stuff? Yeah, right, okay. But um, it served for illustration. (laughs) All right. Look, what are we serving if they're success and family, career, job, blah, 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 they're not bad. In fact, in Thessalonians, Paul's going to redeem all these things. We're going to talk about relationships and how the gospel actually gives life to relationship. We're going to talk about work. Work only isn't not bad. It's actually good. It's actually commanded by Paul in this letter. Work and career and like that's all good. But if that becomes your idol, if that becomes what gives you life, you're dead in the end because only whatever you worship, what the condition of that thing you worship is, is the same thing it'll produce in you. And so if that thing is dead, then in the end of the day, you will be dead with it. But if the thing you worship is alive now and forever, then you will also live forever, family. And so if you pick up Jesus, all of a sudden, he begins to give value to all this because Jesus says, hey, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As you hold me, I actually begin to give value in all these other things. And you don't have to break out of sweat trying to carry all this stuff and put some stuff down and pick other stuff up. No, 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 no. Just follow me. That's what the Thessalonians were doing. And they knew that they could do it because of Jesus, whom they had set their hope in, who went before them. You see, Jesus was our great example in laboring in love and being and working in his faith and being steadfast of hope. You see, Jesus labored and loved everybody around him. 
And Jesus actually came in and he worked out his faith, clearly. Like he literally lived out what he believed around him and he had this hope. It was for the joy that was set before him. He looked ahead and that was how he was able to overcome the cross because of this hope. Jesus was our great example. He was our fulfillment. Jesus did what we could not do, but he wasn't just our example. He was also made an example of. You see, Jesus went on the cross and died naked with a sign over his head mocking who he was because his message was countercultural, because it called death to self so that we might live forever for him. And people didn't like that. And they rejected him. And Jesus was made an example of. And Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because that's what you and I deserve. When we chase all of these other dead gods and we start trying to accumulate and pick everything up, we are chasing dead things and what we should get is death. But instead, Jesus died in our place so that if we believe in him, we might get life because it doesn't just stop at the death of Christ, but the full gospel is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus is alive today. Like that needs to be good news to your soul, church family. Jesus is alive He is not dead. We do not serve a dead God or an ideology. We serve somebody who resurrected from the grave. This is our hope. This is what gives us power. This is what allowed the Thessalonians to labor in this because they knew they had set their hope in something that far exceeded the life in front of them. They set their hope in Jesus. And Paul's saying, look, Jesus was our example. He was our fulfillment. He was our substitute. He gave us his righteousness and took on our death. And then he's also our power. He's our resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we get the Holy Spirit. Because of the resurrection, we have hope eternal. Because of the resurrection, we can walk in all of this that God has called us to. So church family, are you literally excelling in the gospel? Is it everything to you? Have you put down everything else that you might rightly pick up the most valuable thing? Have you surrendered these other idols, turned from them, turned to the living God that you might have life? And then as you turn to him and give your life to him and allow him to begin to use you, I mean, that creates ripple effects into the generations around you, into the generations that will come after you. God wants to use us. Let us excel still more in the gospel. Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the Thessalonians. It's not like they had some special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we don't have. We have the same power at work in that church within our church. And so I pray that we would excel in the gospel. Let us walk forward for the sake of you, our King Jesus. Let us honor you and worship you and magnify your name. God, I pray for those who may not know who you are. Maybe they're trying to carry all this other stuff to give them life. I pray that they would see that life is found in you, Jesus. Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, our Christ, Jesus, our King. 
And God, for those of us who have professed faith in you, I pray that we would literally work in this faith, not work to prove, not work trying to strive, but literally that the faith would be so rooted in us that it would produce the fruit, that you would allow the gospel to really impact us, that we would truly lay aside the dead things that will not resurrect us and that we find power in you. Let us be a church that finds power in you and that preaches this power to others that they might have love, joy, and life everlasting. Let that forever be true of our church. God, snuff us out as a church and remove us if we ever focus on us. Let our hearts forever be focused on you. Pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.